State Representative Tacky Chan of Quincy is back for another Tacky Talk. It's been a couple of weeks. How are you, Tacky? Doing great, Joe. Uh, happy to see you in a couple of weeks. I know we keep last time we talked, we'll see you in a week's time, but Thanksgiving rode around and schedules changed for all of us. It is a busy time of year for sure. I know uh, you've uh, done some professional traveling um, as well for your uh, for your education and and your position at the state house. How did that go? It was good. I mean, I haven't really traveled much. Uh, obviously, COVID, uh, <laughs> and I haven't had a uh, most people realize I haven't actually had a proper vacation. If people know my history, I'm generally missing for part of December. <laughs> Uh, because of the nature of the legislative schedule, it's only specific gaps of time we can actually take more than you know ten days off. It's actually harder than people realize to get more than ten days off under legislative schedule. Uh, but I mean, I went to Atlanta. I talked about a little bit about being a TechNet. It's 101 biggest technology companies uh, in the world. You know, from Google to Apple to to uh, Uber to DoorDash and so forth. And uh, as chair of the Consumer Protection and Professional License Committee, one of the areas I deal with is the licensing of intellectual property. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was good to meet a lot of industry folks, some emerging technology folks that are trying to uh, get their businesses off the ground, as well as, you know, get some crash course seminars and things like child safety online, the future of automated cars, uh, the challenges associated with data privacy and how much more complicated it is as other states are still trying to tackle this issue. It's, it's a lot more involved. Um, so it was actually pretty good. And also a chance to spend some time in the evening with uh, industry folks and, you know, get 20 minute conversations in about, you know, what the world's going on. And, uh, you know, and I got to get back to some folks, about some tours, you know, there's a Google uh, location in, in Boston and there's like, no, it's actually Cambridge. Um, you know, Comcast uh, has a, has a big site in here, which is, you know, NBC Comcast really. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're, they're interested to talk about the programming end of it because of the changing nature of streaming. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a really good time. It also took a side trip as well as part of work to visit Trillo Studios. Trillo Studios is the largest studio on the East Coast. It rivals anything on the West Coast. All the Marvel movies are shot there. Uh, it's expanding. They're adding six new sound stages. Uh, it's definitely the most modern uh, movie facility on the planet. Uh, and, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of economic stimulus from this one location as people bring their money uh, to the studios to do, you know, seven or eight or, n or nine films at a time. Uh, and uh, bring their money into the local uh, Atlanta region economy. Um, and, you know, obviously pay a lot of taxes back to Atlanta as a result of this economic stimulus and, uh, and just a lot of development and construction work. And uh, it's, it's quite amazing. Uh, I did a trip to Vegas for National Conference State Legislators Asian Caucus. The last time I attended an Asian Caucus meeting uh, was in Boston in 2017 when the National Conference State Legislators was here and I was the host uh, as uh, for the Asian Caucus members. And uh, I've always shot away uh, from some of these meetings, uh, partially uh, of time, you know, time constraints, obviously. And, uh, you know, I had some, honestly, I had some questions about whether it's actually worth my time. I mean, you know, these aren't like leisure trips where you have, um, you know, you know, gaps where you can go off. I mean, seminar schedule is pretty rigid. And uh, it was also the first time they had Hispanic uh, as well as Black and Native American caucuses all in one place for the first time. And put in perspective how small uh, the Asian caucus is, it's about 170-ish uh, members of the Asian caucus and it's over 2,700 legislators uh, on the national level, including territories like you know DC, Guam, Puerto Rico, and so forth. 
Meanwhile, in the Black Caucus, the numbers closing in a thousand. Hmm. So it gives an idea of the disparity of, of people of color representation. And in my instance, uh, going down there, there was, there was, I won't lie, it was a bit of a push to try to get me to Vegas from the, from the, uh, uh, from the Asian Caucus because they had problems getting people from the East Coast. So it was me and the representative from, I mean, Senator. This is Representative Senator. Anyway, so a person from Maryland and myself were the only two East Coast folks to come in to provide some point of views about what's going on, going on in our world in the East side of the country. Interesting. Um, you mentioned committee assignments. Any news yet, Techie, on committee assignments for the new term? No, I, I don't have one yet. I believe a boot camp for the freshman legislators, I think, is happening this week. Uh, I didn't get invited to go. I think the speaker's better off if I don't go. Um, <laughs> I guess no one wants the sobering tacky effect of state house life. Um, but, uh, you know, right now, you know, the speaker has to uh, manage, you know, 120, uh, actually, no, 130 uh, plus members uh, coming in to ask for committee assignments between now and probably the end of January. And uh, I suspect the, you can ask the speaker yourself. But I suspect the speaker will try to get this uh, assignments done by um, end of January. I, would, I think that's his plan. The Republicans, being a significantly small caucus, will have their assignments done much sooner. Uh, since there's going to be about 25, there's a, rec there's a couple of recounts going on. And uh, the Republican caucus is three. I think just take all the, the I think they take all the committees and just divide them by three <laughs> and they're done. Mm. Um, and the Senate president will probably work uh, nearer to the uh, speaker's time frame, uh, not in coordination, but just by um, the nature of the size of the caucuses will require a longer time to make a decision. Yeah, yeah. Any news from the governor-elect on her transition team? There's not been a lot of talk about that. No, it's been actually fairly quiet. I know there's been some criticism on some news uh, websites about her slowness. Um, it, it's In some ways, it looks like some of the devout Patrick transition team. You look at some of the names that were there before, uh, eight years ago. Uh, some old names from the early 90s and even the 80s have reappeared. Uh, so we're moving to folks that before my time, and I've been around for a little while, which is kind of a funny statement to make. You know, a few new faces uh, that that have never been there before, uh, and you know, but also the uh, vagueness of the committee names, uh, which I find perplexing, uh, because generally committee names follow the secretariats. Mm. So it's the first time I've never seen like you know, you know uh, transportation and infrastructure, you know, or you know, education K through twelve. You know, uh, you know, like that. It's pretty straightforward transition communities. And, uh, yeah. This time, it's more like a marketing tool, and I was very confused. Yeah, so. she met recently, as you know, with the mayor of Boston. Actually, she was uh, Marhila was in Quincy not too long ago as well, um, with with uh, Governor Baker for um, uh, a symposium on addiction recovery at the New Wave Recovery Center here in Quincy. So she's she's making public appearances. Yeah, she was when I was in Atlanta. She was actually at the governor's conference. So it was actually a like, boot camp for new governors, I suppose you could call it, where all the new governors, are, regardless of political party, you know, met for the first time with the larger governors association. Hmm. And uh, again, these these uh, conferences are good for sharing ideas with your peers. Uh, sometimes what you do here is relevant to what they do there, and sometimes what they do there is relevant to what you do here. And sometimes yeah. you get new ideas about how to do things. Um, so I, I'm aware that, you know, all the new governors had to go, well, they didn't have to, but, you know, definitely all went to, to try to get some, some, uh, more experienced, um, uh, governors around the state to share their point of views, 
Um, and yeah, she's out making the rounds, obviously, you know, as governor-elect. And, you know, Charlie Baker's doing his victory tour, the issues that he thinks is important to him, um, which is great. Um, can't fault that before he takes his long, long march out of the state house uh, next month. Uh, the tradition of taking the red carpet uh, from his office, hand the key in the Bible to the new governor and uh, going down the grand staircase, which may not happen with the construction of the grand staircase. So it might be under the arches. Oh. Uh, out of his car, and I believe it was a 19 gun salute. Neat. So, uh, so yeah, it's it's something you see only when the governor departs. So, um, but I mean, we expect to be a smooth transition. I know there's a uh, more Healy has an interesting transition problem because he's trying to transition her people, try to do a transition to a new job while also transitioning out an existing job and pass the torch on Andrea Campbell. That's true. You know, she is still the attorney general for the state. Right. Exactly. So there is that duty um, to adhere to. Yeah. So um, she's moving a new job while, while keeping keeping working on an old job or, or people try to like do do a smooth transition in two places at the same time. I mean, um, you know, I have made recommendations to uh, Maura Healy's transition team, obviously trying to get some uh, Asian folks on. I can only name two Asian folks on a transition team in my history of 27 years of watching politics, really? which is a long time. Um, so, you know, this time is a few more, which is nice to see. Andrea Campbell's transition team was recently named. Um, but I mean, you know, I'm engaging conversational folks uh, informally uh, with, with the different folks. If they give me a phone call, I'll call you back. So, and then I got the call to be on the Andesoglio's auditor's transition team, which I said yes to. And I'm not sure what exactly they're looking for from me, but, you know, there's still some time for us to figure it out. So I suspect there'll be some phone calls made to me at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, since we last talked, Tacky, as you're well aware, uh, another incident involving uh, Asian violence uh, right here in Quincy uh, with the incident in Quincy Center not even a week ago. Yeah, this one's a little bit more uh, like somewhat out of a movie kind of scenario. I mean, it's just frightening uh, kind of scenario. If, yeah, based on the police report, I mean, there was an altercation uh uh, between the individuals and the, actually a family and individual prior to uh, going to the post office and wall, uh, Quincy Center regarding the speeding issue. And I think we all agree we'd like to yell at people who are speeding around the city. I, I can't blame anybody for that one. Um, but, you know, they stuck around for, for the guy to come out of the post office and it escalated to a new level and proceeded to an involuntary car ride on the hood uh, down to Foster Street and then uh, got thrown off the car and uh, the individual decided to take a second run at him, which in my mind screams murder uh, because it's, you know, it's bad enough the first time generally screams murder. But I mean, when the guy gets up and decided to do a second attempt uh, and tossed him into a 15-ish foot, 10 or 15-ish foot ditch. And, um, you know, he didn't, the, the victim didn't stick around for uh, uh, medical treatment. But then it, what, he went to Braintree and hit another car? That's correct. So, yeah. Uh, so it's uh, quite frightening about this and thankful that, again, you know, law enforcement was able to move rapidly. Uh, DPW or DPW contractors were there to ditch, which actually was also helpful. And of course, you got video cameras everywhere. Um, what, you know, I do advise folks, again, you got video camera of crimes, get it to the police. I mean, I heard it went to WCVB first, uh, which, you know, I get it, but you know, get a copy to the cops. Right. Yeah. Fortunately, there was a witness that actually followed that suspect all the way to Braintree, phoning in the location along the way. So that's how they were able to get him so quickly. Yeah. And also carefully. I mean, uh, you know, obviously I do not encourage people following dangerous people around. 
you know, obviously express caution. I mean, you can get a plate number at least. You know, the, the police can do it from there. But I mean, I, I don't encourage unless you're in a situation where you have no other choice to to find yourself, you know, taking on someone that clearly is dangerous uh, in this instance. And, uh, you know, it, it's shocking because, I mean, it's within two weeks of the attack of Wallace's station, which has not been deemed a hate crime yet, right. um, which I hope it will. And uh, not necessarily because I want to add more charges to the uh, incident because that guy's going away for a long time. I mean, there's plenty of evidence. And uh, we still need to speak to the first attempted victim, first victim. Um, but uh, it adds to the data uh, regarding where there are hate crimes uh, on Quincy and the South Shore. And th this is where I run to a bit of a quandary with law enforcement, where on the one front, they're like, well, these charges uh, are sufficient to put the guy away for 25 years. Additional charges don't aren't going to really make a, a break it more. Uh, it's like gun charges, right? I mean, people are claiming about, well, what it was a gun charge used in murder one. Well, I mean, it's murder one. You're going to life. The gun charge doesn't add more to a lifetime sentence. I mean, yeah. it doesn't look like it's going to add, yo, a lifetime plus five. Eh, it's well, not like it's going to make a difference, right? But right, right. the actual charge itself is recorded as data. Uh, same, same thing with hate crimes. It's recorded data. And so you run into this practical issue about the severity of the crime that, you know, it's additional uh, criminal penalties ain't going to make a difference. Uh, but no, but, I mean, but in the interest of justice, it does make a difference to the victim. Absolutely. And into the community and also for policymakers to have a better sense about what's going on. So uh, I do understand, you know, in, uh, I understand enough the, uh, the gravity of different penalties. However, you know, the data is actually very important for us you know, as policymakers and as well as community leaders to have the confidence that our community actually knows what a hate crime looks like. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And even if not entirely confident, you know, pursuing the investigation of hate crime is equally important for a community as well as policymakers. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting quandary issue where, you know, I'm not looking to attack on more charges. I'm looking to make sure we have accurate data. Right, exactly, yeah. Uh, and this one, there was no question that the hate crime charge was immediate um, given the nature of the crime. And, and obviously, as a, a racial slurs were involved, um, but also if you're targeting specific individual because of their uh, race, gender, age, creed, religion, and so forth, and there was no other, and there was other targets available where you're picking on specific ones, and maybe there's a collateral damage scenario, but I mean, predominantly, it's very clear you're picking on one. I mean, it's like the Lancaster spot shooting. I mean, the argument was against pay time because uh, the there was uh, victims that were not Asian, one who was Hispanic, and two were Caucasian. However, I mean, this person chose three spas that were Asian-owned, Asian-named, in this case, Korean, and, uh, you know, went out of the way to, to, to kill Korean women. And uh, some of these uh, Chinese uh, and uh, other folks were uh, somewhat collateral damage. Yep. And uh, so people do like a 100%, 100%, yes, 100%, no, no, it's, it's looking at totality of circumstances. And, uh, you know, again, I hope that you know, Quincy law enforcement does not just dismiss uh, a hate crimes charge on the, on, on the incident in Wallison Station, um, that, that horrific, horrific crime. Um, because, you know, as the chief said at the community meeting on the 28th, it was like the crime of opportunity. That's what I saw on boston.com, you know, and uh, I don't like it when they just flat out dismiss this stuff. It kind of freaks me out. Mm. Can we um, change gears a little bit and talk about sports betting, Jackie? <laughs> When's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? Your guess is as good as mine. Uh, gaming Commission is putting out regulation. They're hoping to have it by April, which actually puts you past Mar March Madness. 
Apparently, the gaming commission is not concerned about trying to maximize revenue. They've been going past March Madness. Uh, you know, obviously, there's a combination of in-person betting, which will be implemented first at the casino locations, then followed with some online uh, betting, uh, you know, what we call skins. People have been on uh, sports know what I'm talking about. Tickets, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, so you have more of a, uh, options to, to deadline. And the bidding process is kind of hot in the heavy reveal. I've expressed concerns to the Gaming Commission regarding data security. Mm. Uh, DraftKings got hacked. Yep. And if you're a DraftKings user uh, and they didn't tell you yet under Massachusetts Consumer Law, but they have to tell you. They have to provide you free credit, credit monitoring. Uh, otherwise, they are going to be facing uh, Chapter 93 penalties for consumer deception. So uh, if you're a DraftKings, uh, if you're watching this and you're a DraftKings user and they didn't notify you, you better call them or better call the AG. Uh, because they're going to be allowing state law for non-notification of, of your data being at risk. And this is a little bit different also regarding conventional data. A lot of our data at risk tends to be personal data, your name, social security number, and so forth. You know, when you get to uh, things like DraftKings, uh, they're wired directly to your account and routing numbers. So if you're a participant in that, I strongly encourage you to monitor your bank accounts. Uh, because at the very least, change your password, yeah. Yeah, uh, because one of the things that is... Uh, Selling data is a lot of these crime of selling data tends to be about 10 minutes after the theft of your personal data, try to get out there, particularly credit card numbers. Yep. But I mean, there's bank routing numbers now and those numbers won't change. However, you know, I'm confident between the federal, the banks and the you know, Fed Reserve, you know, that runs those routing numbers, plus all the transaction uh, intermediaries to actually also secure those sites. You should be all right, uh, but I would still keep an eye on it. For sure. They could drain an account in seconds, you yep. Yeah, it was, yeah, change your passwords and uh, definitely keep an eye on it. So, but if you haven't been notified by DraftKings, uh, they're a violation of state law. So you should definitely call the Attorney General's office and uh, let DraftKings know that, hey, you're supposed to tell us. Yeah, great. And there's not that I've heard a big public announcement about that. There, I mean, it's been out on smaller media outlets, social media, but um, I haven't seen anything major on some of the major news outlets. No, I, I have not either. But there's also been data breaches on smaller casinos in 2020 around the country uh and uh, this is going to be a continual ongoing thing so like i said you know i sent a letter to the mass gaming commission asking to uh update and improve their data security requirements uh, on uh any kind of sports betting uh they want to propose as part of the rfp i'm not sure they listen to me um hmm. however you know if DraftKings is a wake-up call um you don't need a tech expert to tell you there's a problem mm -hmm. Yeah, like, exactly. Right. You should know. You should know your own system has been hacked. Common sense tells you someone's stealing from you. You probably should find a better lock. Yeah. You know <laughs> um, we talk a little bit about the uh, post commission. They're starting to release certification results for police officers now. Yeah. The first set of certifications done particularly for new new trainees. They're going alphabetical order. Yep. So the next set, you know, is, is by July 1st as part of so-called police reform. Um, you know, certification process will, uh, on a regular basis, should hopefully weed out, you know, unqualified and, and, and uh, frankly, unqualified and bad cops. Hopefully, I'm not sure exactly how this is going to work. These kind of policies take, you know, probably five plus years. It takes going to take, you know, a run through of three year, you know, one run through the three year cycle of certification to see what the results really are. And this is kind of one of those funny things about this type of public policy is that the nature of this, you know, three years worth of cycles of three sets of last names, you know, until we get those data sets after year four, you don't know if this public policy is actually 
bearing fruit. And it's probably another three more years after that because of training of police officers on the ground mm-hmm. and where that training actually has an impact, you know, prior to the implementation of the law. So uh, and people at home always have this magical belief that, you know, we pass a law and overnight the world changes. We don't know because we don't actually see the results for some time because it, it takes time for implement, you know, training set in, you know, folks that are no longer in a police force because they're viol- because of violation, implementation of new uh, penalties and, and review um, and all that stuff. So, you know, we, we won't really know. Maybe everything's wonderful. And, after six years after limitation, maybe after six years it isn't done right, or maybe after six years we find out it's a horror show yeah. uh, regarding how things are done. I, I have no idea yet. Yeah. If I'm still here in six years, we can follow up on that conversation once the first set of you know real you know, comprehensive reports come from. But um, you know, like energy and other policy area, I tell folks, you know, it takes up to five years to to see the results of energy policy. You know, whose reform be the same way? Yeah, uh, another. Um ballot question that did get passed for the licenses for undocumented immigrants. Now questions being raised about the process for how that's going to work and some of the identification requirements you've probably read. Um, There's concern being raised about revealing these folks' immigration status during this process. Well, I think this is the, you know, this issue here as well as issue of safe communities i mean mm-hmm. you know this was one of the concerns and you know, regarding driver's license that you know you want to flag people that you know don't want to be found uh but i mean they can't get to work and work safely and we talk about the insurance issue you get hit by a car the insurance company's not able to pay up because there's an undocumented driver no doesn't have a license if you were a u.s citizen and didn't have a license they're not going to pay up either if you hit a car right or hurt somebody insurance company's going to let you hang on the vine and let you die if they can get away with it right so it's a it's the same principle uh, doesn't matter uh, your legal status. You hit someone in your car. The insurance company isn't interested in paying out right. your battle driver's license, right? Uh, it's the same principle. If someone stole your car, right, and you didn't know about it, obviously, uh, for a while, and then they killed someone with said car, the insurance company has to pay up because you're not at fault. Mm-hmm. Right? But you were driving a car with no license. You're automatically at fault. <laughs> yeah, it negates everything else. That that seals yeah. it right there, right? It's it, the legality issue of decision status is totally irrelevant. Yes, yeah. If you're driving without a license. Don't think you have special privileges if you kill someone with your car because you don't have a license, but you happen to be a legal resident or U.S. citizen. Uh, that doesn't how that works, folks. So I mean, I, a lot of these like red herrings I talked before myths are kind of frightening when people have this idea about what they're legal rights. I'm like, no, you don't. Um, you're just like everybody else. So, um, you know, the, the reality is that, you know, the data privacy issues associated with you know this done in other states uh, and the uh, fact there is going to be no uh, difference between uh, this driver's license and a regular non-real ID license, non-real ID license, which half Massachusetts residents still do not have a real ID license, uh, will be indistinguishable. Um, and the, uh, you know, obviously they have to keep your identity records, like your valid passport or your constant document verifying identity uh, on on record at the RMV. And if your passport expires, obviously you can't get a license right. uh, because of the identification requirement. So, you know, my expectation is that uh, don't expect massive droves of undocumented to get a license. One, they don't have a valid passport. I mean, we talked about this before. You ask your friends, how many actually have a valid passport in this country? No, not a lot, right? right. So, and, and secondly, um, you know, their constant ID doesn't help if you're a political refugee. 
So China's the best example. We hear because you're a pro-democracy person and you hear undocumented because you're afraid of getting killed in China. Um, you can't go to the Chinese consulate. You're kind of out of luck in getting a license in Massachusetts. So uh, it doesn't, it's not gonna be this massive swath of folks I think people think it is. Um, but it does help certain folks that, you know, meet requirements that we can actually know who we really are in terms of identification. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I think a lot of folks won't do it either because again, it's it's gov it's government. Why, why are you stupid? <laughs> I mean, there's a certain degree of like common sense here. You got to really weigh your your danger level about appropriate approaching government agency, and um, you know, and some other folks, uh, you know, cost prohibitive because of getting a driving exam. You have to go to driving school before you can take the driving exam. So it's cost there's some cost prohibition there. But I mean, other states have implemented this, implemented this with no difficulty regarding uh, security of any and all uh, uh, people's data, uh, unless you get hacked. Um, and I've never heard of an instance where a federal agency subpoenaed uh, any records uh, from the RMB in the past. Doesn't matter whose record, right? And public records regarding you know driving incidents the police the the, the news can get doesn't show. Uh, anybody's citizenship status, nor uh, uh, sensitive data like your social security number. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So you know, watching the news, got someone's driving record, but you know, this, your social security number is not on that driving record. Yeah. Right? And uh, you know, I don't think there's going to be any difference regarding uh, the small group of undocumented folks that get a license. I'll talk about some uh, international issues. Speaking of China, um, easing some COVID restrictions. Finally, a lot of an interesting series of events that are taking place right now in, in China. Yeah, something we haven't seen before since Tiananmen Square, actually, in 89, which the Chinese government refused to acknowledge existed, uh, is multi-city protests going off near simultaneously throughout the country. It is a groundswell the size of Tiananmen Square, which actually got to but you know, unofficial numbers well into hundreds and hundreds of thousands. These were more in the thousand to maybe close to ten thousand range. However, because of the nature of social media, and I know it's state controls of social media, it's not social media like in this country. Right. Um, you know, the news moved very quickly, and one of the biggest changes uh, now in the world is that you know news organizations and others are part of Chinese social media to monitor the news, and they're able to download and record uh, that material and ship it out of country uh, via VPN. Uh, virtual protocol network and uh, get the information to us here that we can actually watch it. Uh, and uh, this was 20 years ago. I'm going to tell you, we would have zero clue about right. what was going on over there. And, and this is the changing world. Uh, and I think the communist government does understand, just like in our country, they can find out what's going on via the you know news, social media, you know, and so forth, uh, beyond conventional uh, newspaper or even online newspapers. Uh, you know, uh, that stuff's getting out for us to see. You, you, anyone watching can just look it up online. You, you, you'll find it. Um, and uh, it's kind of funny how the government, you know, under this bubble is under some, uh, some concept that no one's seeing what they see. They just, well, if we don't acknowledge it, it doesn't exist. He's never <laughs> watching it. It's a very interesting phenomenon. To, it to reminds observe. me of the emperor with no clothes, you know. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it, it's it's very interesting, particularly in things like protests, right? This isn't like a political scandal. This isn't like, you know, a public policy debate. This is like a flat out people on the streets. And they're holding a blank paper. Uh, and uh, the reason is because uh, if you say anything about the government, you know, it's sedition over there. Like anything you say about the government could become seditious. So if you have a blank paper, you're not really saying anything at all. 
And the, and the second reason for black paper is really protesting the censors. Yep. So the Chinese government has a lot of folks you know, on computers all the time, 24-7, monitoring all the social networks, and it's a 1.4 billion person country. So manpower is not necessarily a problem at this level. But even they couldn't keep up with the mass amount of scrubbing. And uh, I think you all probably guessed that some individuals that get able to identify will probably never be seen again. So, interesting. Yeah. you know, it's still a, a interesting police state. And I'm always marveled by uh, folks uh, that go over there from here and think it's like they're like us. I mean, no. no. I mean, we have problems, but our problems aren't their problems. It's, it's their problem. Yeah. And, and three years of lockdown over there practically has finally worn out the people. And I think the GDP numbers are stupid, you know, questionable about you know, they're moving the money inside the country to try to keep their economy going. But, you know, their, their uh, per capita is 50% of ours. U.S. per capita is twice as large as, as per capita in, in China. Even though they have larger volume of people to kind of compensate mm -hmm. well per capita, you can only move so much money inside your country around. <clears throat> so that's how they've been trying to keep the economy going. Uh, but our supply chain, you know, Apple phones, you guys are going to get delayed getting an Apple phone for quite some time. Tesla cars, massive delay. <clears throat> because of the not just the protest, but general supply chain problems, um, and uh, we, they're still inconsistent rules. I think all of us, and trust me, I got those angry emails and phone calls. You know, unable to predict what the uh, governor was going to do regarding opening, closing, open, close time. When went our time? I mean, you know, we all lived through that here in 2020, going into early 2021, where literally none of us could figure out, you know, on spot notice, and every state was doing something different. Uh, regarding identification, testing, and everything else. You know, China maintained a somewhat uniform process, lockdown and testing. Very Not a complicated COVID policy. Lockdown, testing, and quarantine. And right. um, if you look on video online, um, you know, please do. You can see what the quarantine centers look like over there. And people started to try to avoid any way they can to end up in, in quarantine. The fact that they have home quarantine is like a brand new thing for them. Think about that, folks. We're in 2022, and home quarantine is now a policy in China for the first time. Yeah. Well, all of us at home, you know, were afraid of death in 2020 uh, spring. Uh, you know, we're you know home quarantine, uh, whether it be lockdown or you know you have you have the essential worker, you have to stay away from people at home. So, you know, and uh, they also have inconsistency. So certain provinces and cities. And villages, depending where you are, you know, still have a requirement that you have to have a positive PCR test. I mean, a, no, I'm sorry, a PCR test completed, uh, you know, negative. Probably you can go to a, a public transit or a grocery store or, or an office site or a shopping mall. However, they're closing testing centers all over the place. Yeah. So how do you get tested if they're closing testing centers because they're, they're stopping mandatory testing, but you still need a, you know, a, a test result <coughs> to, to find out, you know, what you're doing. And then you know, these suckers, I mean, they now implemented this like QR code that, you know, you have to have before you can enter. So you have to scan. So this is, you know, they, they did definitely uh, use COVID as an opportunity to implement Big Brother to a new level. Now, Korea and Japan you know, had similar programs. However, you know, they're a little more like us, not us, but I mean, a little more wow. uh, westernized-ish regarding data privacy, personal rights and things like that. I mean, they're not exactly, no one's exactly like us, right? But a little closer. Uh, but over there, I mean, they created a mechanism where they could track your movements through, through the subway system. So if you come up uh, test positive through your phone, they can find out track every single location you've been, then proceed to track those phones and then, you know, start ringing on people to put in quarantine centers. 
So, uh, you know, that that system I don't see going away anytime soon in China. So you're visiting China, uh, get a burner. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then leave it there when you leave. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, because, uh, you know, like I say, you're, prying my, you're not prying my phone on my hands without an affidavit from a judge. So um, over there, they, have, they are literally taking people's phones and deleting um, pictures of the of all these protests, trying to wipe out like they didn't exist. Uh, but on Converse, they had an awful, awful, horrible Halloween <coughs> stampede that killed hundreds in Korea. And all that phone evidence became crucial as part of the investigation of the failure of both the municipality, you know, the government, city government, as well as law enforcement, how they allowed that to get out of control. Yeah. So cell phone evidence became extremely important as in our investigation. Yeah. <coughs> it's a it's a whole new it's a whole new world in information gathering for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So expect China to reopen, but expect it to to be jagged. It won't be consistent. Expect that there's going to be a spike in cases if there is testing. If there's no mm. testing. No. And they have centralized hospital systems, and they have a quarter of the number of IC beds that we have in the U.S. Mm. Uh, senior only about 79% of senior citizens in China have a shot one, but it's Sinovac, uh, which is not mRNA, which is not even as the testing is more traditional uh, vaccine or Novavac, which is more traditional vaccine. They have no foreign made vaccines, which means they're not Omicron ready. And Omicron, yes, it's less severe, but if you're not vaccinated, you know, you have a, a pre existing condition uh, that uh, puts you at a higher risk of infection and death. Well, you know, there could be some of that coming. Um, but I mean, if you're resident in China, there's some also disparities. For example, when you allowed people of foreign vaccinations to come into China uh, and reduce quarantine time, you know, people who work in those businesses that engage of, of foreign foreign uh, employers, foreign investors coming in the country, you got to scratch your head like, well, let me get this straight. They can come in with foreign vaccine, but if I go out, I can only come back with foreign back with native uh, native vaccine. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, it, it, ain't, it ain't stupid people. I mean, this ain't difficult to figure out. And then, you know, again, they're not stupid. I mean, they're watching the World Cup. People are not dying in Qatar. I know there's other issues in the news over there, but they're not like no mass. It's an outdoor event. People are not dying in the streets. Everything seems pretty cool. And then the census try to blur out the crowd uh, watching the World Cup. And you're sitting at home, you're like, huh? What's going on? I know. <laughs> You know, they're not dumb. People are not dumb. Right. You know, yeah. This is simple common sense stuff that people can anybody can figure out. So of course, I mean, the alternative choice is not looking watch the World Cup. And I know that you know soccer is a big deal in this country, but it's a bigger deal outside of this country. And um, you know, trying to deny people watching the World Cup will start a different kind of protest. That's right. That's true. <laughs> going to the very beginning of the conversation, this was triggered from a uh, a fire uh, that killed a, uh, a family uh, in a multi-story complex. And the uh, accusation from the public is that because of the lockdown, it prevented people from getting out of the fire safely. And uh, the lockdowns actually locks on the outside of the gate, yep. not on the inside of the gate. So as part of their, uh, I'm sure there's been other incidences, but you know, as part of their lockdown policy, uh, it's basically like prison. Um. Ukraine is hitting inside inside Russia now, Jackie. Yeah, I, I mean, they did this before. They hit an oil depot right across the border off of that, whatever, Kharkiv, that northern city right mm -hmm. in the corner. But they only kind of went in like a little bit. I mean, if you look at the map, they went a lot <laughs> into 
and uh, like a lot of Western countries, uh, the preferable target is military strategic targets. They're not bombing power stations and water supplies and hospitals and schools like the Russians are just blowing up a crucial infrastructure and your home just mm. for just for bonus time, right? I mean, it's it's disgusting. I mean, it, you know, as much as everyone hates war, I mean, the goal is to stop a war. The goal to stop the war is go after the weapons. This ain't complicated math. I mean, you yeah. want to stop the fighting. You blow up the stuff that you're using to fight you with. So, I mean, the Russians have taken losses in Crimea because they blew up some planes out there and they hit air, air depots uh, with military planes. Uh, they were dropping uh, dummy bombs as decoys. So they're launching missiles with no warheads to try to have the uh, missile defense system kill those first before the follow-up on real warheads. Um, and all, even though the dummy warheads with no explosives, I mean, it's still a whole lot of metal flying out of the sky, dropping on your house. Right. So, you know, when the air drone warfare and, um, you know, people talk about drone warfare for 25 years. I mean, this is not a new concept. Uh, but the fact that able to, Know, fly drones in, which means that there's a good possibility that, you know, Ukrainian special forces had to get into Russia, bring their equipment, you know, to these bases. Uh, whether they got out alive, I have no idea. No one knows what's really going on, obviously. Right. You don't see what's on the satellite and state news. Target uh, these airfields, get past uh, the airfield security, which I'm going to gamble is not as good as ours. Right. Um, and then just, you know, was able to, uh, you know, use the camera, you know, zone you know drone like a video drone. game essentially yeah yeah and it just hit these planes and every plane they destroy is one less plane that can you know, bomb civilians so right i would expect we're going to see more of this type of uh special ops operation uh targeting military strategic military resources whether it be oil depots gas depots planes munition dumps um you know all that stuff uh to try to reduce Russia's capacity to blowing the hell out of their hospitals and schools and, you know, normal people. I mean, they're not picking on military targets. They're killing right. just you and me. Yeah, it's almost like a terrorist warfare, really. Yeah. Well, it's, this, it's, it's uh, warfare from the 1900s, mm -hmm. uh, 1800s. The, the goal of the 19th century warfare was to punish people so badly that the government would have to collapse because of, of fear of genocide. Or revolt from the public. Mm. Um, you know, World War One Russia is an example of that, right? I mean, they got into World War One not knowing why they wanted to be there. Eventually, the population revolted, led to the downfall of the the imperial government, uh, and, and you know installed the Bolsheviks. Well, it wasn't really the Bolsheviks; it was the the white coats and the red coats. There's a whole story there, but you know, installed a new civilian government. Yeah. The um, you know, first thing they did was get out of World War One. Because they didn't even know why they were fighting it, because the population revolted. I mean, this is a lesson of history. Will Putin get a revolt of the population? Probably not. I mean, it's a different time, um, different circumstances, uh, different technology. Everything is not the same. However, you know, people like you saw in China, people, you know, don't feel don't know why this is the point of what they're doing or what the government's right. doing. Actually, they're going to have a bit of a problem in their hands. And, you know, one of the provinces already had. Uh, protested Putin because they had this portion number of their civilians recruited and uh, sent into warfare uh, disproportional to to uh, other ethnic groups um, because as opposed to like putting people in Moscow they took these other smaller ethnic groups and threw them in the front lines of Russia 
And, um, you know, they have prisoners right now and they're doing the whole, again, 19th century approach of, you know, can fodder prisoners first, you know, next, next set is the uh, conscripts in the, in the back is the professional military. Mm-hmm. This is unheard of in America. We've yeah. never really done this type of warfare here. Even when we fight, you know, even colonial warfare, civil war warfare, I'm not saying that it was, you know, didn't happen, but, you know, as a accepted military strategy, <laughs> Yeah, you know, that that would have been frowned on even then, right? <laughs> yeah, again, I'm not saying it didn't happen yet, but I mean it's not doctrine, it's not standard US military doctrine. It's not like something right. we practice uh as an official military doctrine. That that's an official military doctrine over there. So uh back here, I'm sorry, good. No, it, it's just it's just funky, crazy, nutty over there. I mean but I mean, watch the news, it could get much more interesting to get deep yeah. into the water, right? Back here home, of course, the Georgia runoff election has now been decided, Tacky. Yeah, it went the way I thought it would. I hate to be like blunt about it like that, but you know, one of the things we learned at NCSL, you know, when I went to Vegas, you know, is that mail-in voting is popular. People love it. Um, it helps uh, people who uh, big surprise that work multiple shift jobs, who uh, work through weekends. Uh, I know. The law says the employer has to give you time off to, to vote. I know at least in Massachusetts it does. However, you know, people are not going to take that time off if they, they got to work. Uh, you shifted your ship. And things like early voting, mailing voting really does work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually helps, uh, quite frankly, the working class most. When you really think about it, you, you, you know, who, who, what are you going to do? You mean you're going to take two hours a day to go vote uh, on that Tuesday? Or maybe you, you're rushing back home because you have to get your kids in daycare? Right, you know, and try to hit the voting booth at the same time, or you know, you you have a four hour drive, a three hour drive from you know in the South Coast into Boston, you know, so that means you know you really have to be out of there, you know, before voting opens at seven a.m. So you know, it's it, and actually speaking, actually statistics, it's very popular. It benefits predominantly people that have uh, middle class and lower class jobs, predominantly. So uh, not surprising, you know, particularly dense urban areas had a very high turnout, particularly people that are, uh, you know, work 50 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at and least. Person, right. Yeah. yeah. And people that work in person, white collar jobs that can work from home or people that have flexible hours or people in high income bracket had less difficulty actually voting on the same day. So I was like the rough count last night because I didn't watch this morning was like 3.3 million votes cast was the rough count. I think it was like three point what? six or nine not sure yeah yeah for the november election they weren't that far off and uh the fact that preliminary had warnock ahead to begin with and uh you know libertarians so stole two percent i didn't think that if the turnout was going to be anywhere near close to the general election i had a hard time seeing the numbers not hold Mm -hmm. And, and it proved out to be true yeah yeah and uh put aside you know the media coverage on herschel walker's intriguing statements um, another interesting phenomenon is that in contested states, Donald Trump's handpicked opponents uh, did not do well at all. And, uh, you know, and a wise politician and, and Mitch McConnell is correct. And I agree with his philosophy. Candidate quality matters. Mm-hmm. It's a very wise statement from a very experienced politician. Yeah. And, it, it, it you know, it, it gives credit to to the voters, too, that that they're smarter than people give them credit for. Oh, I absolutely. I mean, people, you know, do get tired. 
about you know blaming people and i know that it was happening for a bit but at some point people want to see something happen and you know as a local politician you know yeah i show up at events and you know i do a lot of that stuff but people want to hear about what you pass in the budget i mean even stuff that can be vetoed by the governor for example the governor vetoed a bill i was working on as committee chair on uh, uh, letting you keep your professional license if you miss a student loan payment he amended the bloody thing sent it back to us saying that you know uh, that uh, missing a student loan payment uh, means that uh, you're not able to hold a financial license a profession involves financial industry license because you're no longer considered in good standing but you don't have your license you can't work right and you've already gone through the education requirements so I'm kind of like banging my head on the wall here with the governor on that one hmm. uh, as I've been working on this thing for three years. Uh, yeah, I was working through COVID. People forget that, you know, when bills like this, you try to get to a point where, you know, it, it covers a lot of folks where, uh, you know, you, you don't have a, your license. You can't do your job. You don't have a job. You can't pay your student loan. I mean, it's a catch 22. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And the governor sends it back. So now we're trying to figure out because we don't have formal sessions. Are we going to just reject the governor's amendment, ship it back up and roll the dice on a veto, a pocket veto by end of cycle? Or do we come back and make a run at it very quickly early next year? I don't know the answer to that, but this is, this is what I'm doing, guys. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Bills, uh, that I'm trying to figure out with leadership what is the best way to go about handling this in the month of December. Um, and the last day of session is the first Tuesday of January because we got sworn in the first Wednesday of January. So, I mean, we're still working. So, I mean, there's an example of one of the bills. And I'm still getting calls from committee members and general members about home petitions that are coming to me on liquor license issues because uh, town meeting happened this fall. And we mm -hmm. live in the city. So, uh, unless you lived in a town and know what town meeting is, there's a lot of town meetings in the fall and they submit bills to us through the towns in the fall during this time period. And we're trying to make decisions about whether to see we can ram it out in three weeks or we're better off uh, doing a, a start over immediately right. next year and see what it can do to expedite things. So yeah, yeah. beyond, you know, earmarks and, you know, working on you know, our own home uh, policies issues that affect us, I'm still trying to deal with other people's policy issues that does not affect the city of Quincy uh, on local issues that are important to my colleagues, as well as, um, you know, working on something that's what seems to be simple, you know, to people to keep their keep their jobs, you know, or trying to pay the student debt. Did you uh, meet the Royals, Tacky? No. <laughs> I'm cool with that, by the way. Not on my bucket list. Not my concern. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> they did make quite a splash, uh, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, they did. They did. Uh, again, I mean, it's this fascination with the real one of the few remaining major monarchies, which uh, you know, again, I think people undercredit uh, Queen Elizabeth's ability to navigate seventy years of a dying colonial empire, navigate you know through a Cold War period, uh, navigate through keeping the uh, reforming the uh, monarchy of some relevancy. Obviously, by the tragedy of Diana, which literally the whole planet watched. Um, both the marriage and the end and the tragedy of her death. Um, I remember watching Diana and Charles's wedding as a child. I mean, it was a big, big deal when I was a kid. I mean, all the news networks had it uh, and the fascination with the Royals. But, um, you know, I've, I watched like half a season of The Crown. I really need to watch more of The Crown on Netflix, um, which is a great drama. But, you know, it's, it's not on my bucket list. We, we won the war, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much.
reach out to you, of course. Oh, you can see I'm in the office. So 617-722-2370, 617-722-2370. My email is cleared up because the election over because they just blanket email everybody. So Warnock's win, I actually have email that's less spammy on uh, all my email accounts, by the way, because they can all find me. And, uh, you know, tacky.chan at mahouse.gov. We always, again, prioritize people's issues before we prioritize policy. But I do read them all. And we do categorize and log them into our, our database system of constituent services. And, um, you know, Facebook's the representative of Tacky Chan, as well as uh, Twitter at Tacky Chan. And, of course, tackychan.org. Uh, we're going to be doing some work on um, continuation update this winter because, of course, the new session's coming in. We have to start wiping out stuff on the website and start putting new stuff up when you put a new session. So uh, under construction is going to be the, the word for the next six or so months. All right. Fair enough. Good to talk to you, Tacky. Appreciate it. Good to see you, Joe. And I'll catch you in the next flip time.